Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm assistant sports editor Mark Faulkner here at home for the second time in our 24 podcast, for the second time since the virus COVID-19 turned the world upside down. I'm joined now by our Red Wings beat reporter, Ted Colfin, who is also at home. Ted, last week we took a look at Jimmy Howard's future with the Red Wings, and you said there's at least four other Wings who might have played their last game in a Detroit uniform. Jonathan Erickson, Trevor Daly, Franz Nielsen, and Justin Abdocator. Where do you think they stand now as we're into April and still an uncertain future with the rest of the season and perhaps the playoffs? Well, Erickson and Daly are done. I mean, there's no way mm-hmm. those two are bring, uh, doubt very seriously. Either of them will – I think they, they may have played their last games in the NHL. I don't think there's – they've such injury-riddled years the last couple of seasons. I just don't have – I just don't think there's any more gas left in the tank. Nielsen and Abdulkader – uh, it's it's a tricky situation. I mean, will they choose if there's a chance that they could buy? There's I think there would be a slight chance they could buy those two guys out. Mm-hmm. Justin Abdicator's having you know he's had two very bad seasons. I mean, statistically and whatever other way you want to describe it. I mean, he's really had difficulty staying, and he became a healthy scratch toward the end of this paused season um his effectiveness just isn't there Franz Nielsen he had a very disappointing year too I mean I thought I think they were counting on him to be the number two or three center provide a little bit of offense but to Nielsen both those guys are great guys in terms of leadership and a veteran influence in the locker room but their lack of production is a cause for concern so if you're Steve Weiserman you just bite the bullet and Buy those two out. We'll see. I mean, if there's ramifications for sure. If you do that, they're going to hamper the salary cap going forward. Maybe not as much as considering uh, it's basically a young roster. They're not. There's no real salary salary cap issues right now, but it's a lot of money to eat. Um, we'll see. I think it's definitely on the table, probably. Financially, Steve Eiserman's in pretty good shape. He has some big contracts to sign some free agents in the offseason. Nielsen has two years left at $5.25 million per year. Abdicator has three years left at $4.25 million per season. You know, at the beginning of the year, Ted, I talked to NBC's Ed Olchuk about veterans like Abdicator and like Nielsen playing on a team, trying your best, not really worried about the future and all the talk about being in the lottery. And Olchuk said that it, it was sometimes even, if not embarrassing, it was just, it was so hard to, it was so hard to perform and get up to the level when you knew you were kind of the problem and you knew you weren't going anywhere. And I just wonder if some of the wings felt that during those long losing streaks where, 
you know, they were undermanned and going into some of those games that you were watching, Ted, they, they really didn't have much of a chance. No, but I'll tell you one thing, Mark, I give them full marks for, they really did. There wasn't very many games. They mailed it in. They really Mm -hmm. did put forth a solid effort. They went their mantra of, you know, next shift, next game. You definitely saw that. Um, they're pros. I mean, they gave it their best shot in every night and just wasn't good enough. I think they understood that they were under man most nights. Uh, I don't think anybody was embarrassed. I mean, they may be embarrassed by the record per se, but I don't think anybody, like I said, nobody mailed in. Nobody was in, nobody should be embarrassed by lack of performance or lack of effort or whatnot. It was a difficult season though. I mean, you, they wore it on their faces after those, some of those losses. I mean, not, what three losing streaks of at least eight games? I think there was a ten or eleven or twelve game streak thrown in there too. It was. I think one of one of the guys mentioned it was not. It wasn't a whole lot of fun. A lot of times this season, and well, as if nothing else, for the guys that are coming back next year, it can serve as motivation. And you know, Olchek also said Ted that uh, he knew that the Hawks were going to get better, and then Jonathan Taves came, and Patrick Kane, and and Duncan Keith, and and on that subject, uh, last week you wrote a story about some of the top draft picks again, the top four or five that that we've been looking at from the beginning of the season, and just recently a number of scouts with NHL central scouting listed comparables of some of the NHL players remind them of some of the top skaters. So for example, Alexi Lafreniere, the comparable would be Jonathan Huberdeau, the Florida Panthers forward. And you just spoke with Lafreniere recently on the conference call. What are your thoughts about the kind of game that he could, he could provide for the wings if they win the lottery and, and he is available. What do you think? Huberdeau sounds Sounds well, like that'd be a great game. Yeah. I've always liked Jonathan Huberto's game in Florida. I think he's one of the more underrated players in the league. I mean, for accuracy's sake, I've only seen highlights basically of him. I've never seen him play in person, and I don't think I've ever seen him play a full game even. I just All I can do is talking to scouts and reading. Sounds like he's going to be an impact player right off the bat. I mean, if he's a Jonathan Huberto, I think the Red Wings would be very excited. The uh, second-ranked player is Quinton Byfield, who we talked to at the beginning of the season, and he's been compared to Evgeny Malkin of the Penguins, a big, strong centerman. And certainly if the Wings do not get the first pick, it would probably it's probably likely that the Wings might take Byfield, so that would set them up for down the middle for years and years. Uh, I, and that would set them up for years and years down the road. But... What do you think about Malkin, who can certainly turn the game on, was the uh, Consmite Trophy winner when they beat the Red Wings in 2009. He was simply outstanding with uh, Sidney Crosby and the two of them. Mark, if this kid is half the player <laughs> Malkin, I think the Red Wings will be very happy. If he's half or a quarter of the player that Malkin is, the Wings will take it for sure. Again, I've heard good things. Uh, Never seen the man play, but I've heard good things. He's got good size. I know some people are a little leery of his skating or whatnot, and he still has to fill out a little bit, but seems, again, like he's got a lot of potential. The third-ranked North American player is defenseman Jamie Drysdale, who will be featured in an upcoming uh, podcast. We talked to him. He's an Erie Otters defenseman as well as his coach, uh, Chris 
Hartsburg. And the comparable there, Ted, is the Colorado Avalanche defenseman, Cal McCarr. And, you know, if Steve Eisenman winds up drafting number three and Lafreniere and Byfield are gone, certainly Drysdale would be in the mix, right? Oh, yeah. I've heard good. Again, yeah, that's comparable. There's a McCarr or Quinn Hughes or whatnot. Um, has to play better defensively from talking to some people. He's got a way to go there. But at the offensive end, sounds like he's a dynamic player. Uh, not a very big guy, but that doesn't have – I mean, it's not a, a detriment anymore in today's NHL. But, uh, again, I mean, I know a lot of people like him. He's going to go – seems like he's going to go very high in the draft. Two other players, Ted. Uh, one is uh, from Mannheim, where Marit Sider played last year. Tim Stutzel, a winger. He's 6'1", 190 pounds, compared to Islanders forward Matthew Barzell. Lots of speed, the attitude – the work ethic. What are your thoughts about the wings? So if they're drafting three, Drysdale is there, Stutzel is there. If they drop to four, um, would Stutzel still be on the radar? Again, I mean, it's so early in the process, but I I know a lot of people like the kid, and heck, if they get him and Cider, I think they're pretty much guaranteed of having a game in Germany here in the not too future and one of those preseason games but now I've, I've heard good things about him too a determined player kind of plays beyond his age but again at this point mark it's difficult to die it's such everything's in a state of flux in this league right now we don't know when the lottery is going to be we don't know when the draft is going to be it's it's we're surmising so many things these days and just one last player, more of a wild card, Ted, clearly a wild card, the goaltender, Yaroslav Askarov, who we've talked about all season long. The comparable there is Nashville Predators goalie, Pekka Rene. Um, again, Askarov would only even be in the conversation if the Wings picked fourth, and then Steve Eisenman would have to probably pass on Drysdale or Stutzel to take a goaltender uh, similar to what he did in Tampa Bay, a little further down the draft. What are your thoughts about that's a real long shot, isn't it? Yeah, I'd, I'd be a little surprised if they, unless they're committed to, you know, that they, they feel he's going to be a difference maker. But it goes against everything you've ever heard about the draft about, I mean, it's so rare that a goalie gets high up and they have so many other needs. I don't know. I'd be a little surprised if they go that route. but. I mean, they, they do need a goaltender for the future, and if they like the kid, you never know. Coming up next, our interview segment, we'll be talking Michigan minor hockey with Honeybake's Max Nemestikoff, a forward with the Honeybake team, as well as Kevin Hess, who is an OHL central scout who covers the Michigan area. We're joined now by Kevin Hess, a Michigan scout for OHL central scouting. Kevin also covers the Midwest area, and Kevin... I like your comments on this historic weekend. The Detroit Honey Baked under-15 team did something that no other American team has done since the OHL priority draft officially was named that in 1981, which goes all the way back, by the way, when Steve Eiserman of the Nepean Raiders, he was selected number four overall that year, 1981, one spot behind his assistant GM, Pat Verbeek of the Petrolia Jets. But that Honeybait team, Kevin, 
the under 15s, the first team to have more players selected 12 this year than any other team, including those talent rich Toronto teams. What are your thoughts on, on the historic weekend? It's, it's truly amazing. It's showing us, it's showing how the U S development model, it it truly is working Uh, just like any change. uh, There's always a little bit of pushback. And when they changed the American development model, uh, I don't know how many years ago, I believe this year might have been the 10-year anniversary. Um, it shows uh, that, that it's working uh, and we're truly developing uh, hockey players. And along with that, uh, the coaching available to the young men, not only in our area here in Michigan, uh, but all over the country is mm-hmm. it's truly amazing. If you look at somewhere like uh, St. Louis, uh, you had Keith Kachuk coaching his boys, at, uh, Matthew and Brady. And uh, Phoenix, uh, Shane Doan was coaching his son out there. Um, down in Florida, Jeff Chicken uh, was coaching there. So the NHL guys are staying, uh, you know, where they played last professionally. And it's truly helping uh, the U.S.-born player um, astronomically. Kevin, what did you mean by the pushback? Was it a major pushback 10 years ago? Was it just refining? What was it like back then when, when, when as you said, uh, USA Hockey maybe was streamlining in this area. What what was that like back then? Well, what they did it, at the younger age groups, they cut they cut it down to half ice hockey. Which uh, I have a four year old, and it makes uh, it truly does make a lot of sense. There's no way that she can cover an entire rink uh, going up and down and playing a, a complete what we would consider hockey a hockey game. Uh, they cut it to half ice hockey, and um, it allows you to make decisions in tighter spaces. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it really pushed skill development. The American development model, the one thing it really did push is skill development. And, uh, and we have tons of skilled American players now, I believe, from it. Kevin, you mentioned some of the former NHL players, uh, Kachuk, uh, Chikrin. I just interviewed uh, Milan Heyduk, who's had a role in the Colorado Thunderbirds, and his son Merrick is coming to the uh, National Development Team program here. How about Detroit, though? Were there specific players, or was it just uh, the strength of the area here? Michigan, Maine, and Minnesota have always been hockey hotbeds. But were there players, or just the structure, or both? Uh, it, it's a combination of both. If you look at this year's draft, uh, right down the board here in Detroit with the 15 and uh, under programs, uh, Honeybaked with Jason Deskins played at Miami, Ohio, played uh, minor professionally in the East Coast League. Uh, he played. Um, and he, he's a, a terrific coach. Dan Rydell with the Oakland Junior Grizzlies played at Ferris State. Hmm. Um, Mark Matera at Plymouth Victory Honda was, a, I think he was 24th over to Anaheim in the NHL draft. Um, you'd have to get, find the year for me. I don't have it in front of me. Derek Rail at Detroit Little Caesars played at Western Michigan, and he also played professionally both uh, here um, North America and, and uh, over in Europe, I think possibly Italy. Um, over at Fox Motors uh, in Grand Rapids, Mike Knubel, former NHLer, and uh, Ryan Kasecki, his assistant, both guys played at a high level and came back to coach. And it just keeps going on. Greg Steffen coaches at Detroit Compuware, uh, former Detroit Red Wing goalie. Right, right. Okay. And Chad LaRose, who, uh, you know, he has a Stanley Cup ring, so he must know something. He must have done something right. And uh, just the coaching available to these young men is its tremendous. And, uh, even coming up to the youth bracket now, um, Ryan Kessler's returned home. He's the coach, his young uh, boy at Little Caesars. I've seen Kirk Walt be on the bench. 
Uh, Chris Draper has been on the bench. And then one guy, uh, one of my mentors, Pat Peak, uh, who played in the NHL and unfortunately had his career um, cut short with the uh, with his foot with his foot um, foot injury. Um, he was a mentor of mine, as I said, and a tremendous, tremendous coach. So uh, the the kids here are extremely lucky. The uh, honey baked under fifteen team, Kevin. Um, I was talking to to Jason a bit about some of the stats this past year. You saw them play. The stats are. 59 wins, three losses, and two ties. 59, three, and two. 411 goals for just 112 against. Um, Jason said they went undefeated in most of the major tournaments. Silver Stick, Toronto Marlies tournament. It goes on and on and on. Can, can you tell me a bit about watching this 2004 group and, and what made them uh, so special going into the draft and having 12 players taken? The biggest thing with the Honeybait, the Honeybait team is that they're all 200-foot players. It's not, a, it's not guys cheating out of the zone and going to score goals. They truly worked as a unit. The right group of people, the right group of coaches, and the right group of kids. And uh, they just played, they played a beautiful game. Uh, the game has changed so much since the, the when I got into hockey, and uh, they wouldn't be pushed around, but they could, you know, they gave it right back. They could skate, they could pass, they could shoot, and their skill level was tremendous. And their hockey IQ, probably the most important thing. Every single one of those kids had a really high hockey IQ or hockey hmm. sense, as they say, and it proved uh, it proved to. Their, through their success in the long run. Coming up, Kevin, we'll hear from the player who was picked number three overall, Max uh, Nemesnikov, who scored 53 goals this past year, 128 points, only 59 games, a plus 125 rating, and a 64% face-off winning percentage. He was selected by the Sarnia Sting. Can you talk a bit about uh, Max Nemesnikov and how you've seen his game progress? It's funny how you say progress. Everyone say, oh, he was a highly rated right out of the bat. He worked on little elements of his game, and that got him his well-deserved uh, recognition here of being the number three overall selection to Sarnia. The thing that sticks out with me with Max is his, his compete level, just high end. He might have one of the hardest shots uh, in all of minor midget. Um, if it wasn't for his teammate, Spencer Sova, who went number eight overall to Erie, he definitely, I think, would have the hardest shot. Um, and not only is it hard, is it, it's also accurate. And Max has that one thing, they, all, they say it. And Max is not only a goal scorer, but he does a great job of uh, deceiving the goaltender that, hey, I'm going to shoot, I'm going to shoot in the last second, just slide it over uh, to a teammate for an open, uh, for an open net goal. Uh, and again, I hit on the hockey IQ, hockey sense earlier, and Max uh, definitely uh, has that, and it helps uh, with his pedigree. You know, uh, his dad played in the NHL, his brother plays in the NHL, and I'm pretty sure either his godfather or his uncle uh, won a Stanley Cup with the wings here. Yes, yeah, Slava Kozlov, two-time Stanley Cup champion. Max was saying that his older brother, and his older brother's like 11 years older, Vlad, Vlad would go down to Joe Louis Arena and he'd be in the dressing room with his uncle and the, and the Russian five. So that's a really interesting conversation coming up with, uh, with Max. And I wonder what it was like watching Max. Uh, he was on a line with Frank Nazar, who was taken in the fifth round by the London Knights. But Frank is uh, headed to Plymouth with the under-17s. But what was it like watching 
this team that dominated, were the games still interesting, scoutable? Like, were they that much better? Or what was it like watching them play? If I had to use it as a one-term, uh, if it was a one-word answer, the term would be beautiful. Uh, Max and Frankie worked so well off one another. Hmm. Uh, they just seemed to know where each, each other was at all times. Hmm. And uh, the puck movement between them, and it, it was just a – Thank you. Sorry, my daughter. Uh, oh, no. No worries in this day and age where we're all home. They're, they're talking about your favorite player, Frankie. Do you want to say anything good about Frankie? No, now we're nervous. Yeah, now they're nervous. Why? Your we're daughter, nervous. she she liked watching Frank play? What kind of player, well, what kind we, of player well, is Frank Nazar? No, Frank Nazar, uh, one of the best skating kids. I, I One of the best skaters I've seen uh, at this level. His north-south speed is in the top 10. Hmm. Uh, and then he can cut on a dime, and he's another one. He, he's, he has that knack for goal scoring. Uh, a lot of guys in hockey will talk about, are you a guy that uh, – are you a goal scorer or are you a guy that scores goals? And Frank and Max uh, definitely are goal scorers. Uh, they can score in a multiple, multiple different ways. They, you know, they can find it in tight. They can go on a breakaway and make a great move and score. Uh, they can score from afar because they have a good shot. Um, you know, they could be getting cross-checked in the back and then it just hits their stick and they tip it in. They're definitely goal scorers. Um, and w- watching those two play together, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, just beautiful. The things that they did, just mm-hmm. the nonverbal communication that they had with one another, uh, and as well as the rest of their teammates, it was just it was a lot of fun to watch. And finally, Kevin, um, you've had some time now to think about uh, what happened on Saturday. And one of your roles, you were saying, was that you call each of the players and get updates on on players like your daughter's favorite player, Frank Nazar. But maybe you could just talk a bit about the the weekend again. We started the podcast with uh, with that question, but. Uh, uh, how does this fit into to, to your career as well to see this happen? You mentioned all the coaches, the, the, uh, all, all the progress. And, and now, um, you know, we're a day after the draft and, and you're getting ready, you know, eventually for the, for the next group of players. Uh, this is definitely, was a special, this was a special draft for me. I actually had a chance to work with these uh, young men when they were uh, t- uh, 10 years old. I think they're squirt A. Mm-hmm. Um, and Frankie Nazar was on that team, as, long, as well as another draft, Tommy Budnick. Uh, and uh, it was just it's truly special to be able to share that with them, uh, share this moment with them. Uh, so proud of Frankie uh, being able to play for his country at the US National Team Development Program. And, uh, and with Tommy going to Kingston, and we'll see what his, his future goes through. But just watching them grow up from – and all these boys, uh, we've played versus them, you know, in tournaments and everything throughout the years – it's truly exciting to see, um, you know, I'll call it chapter two of hopefully a long uh, hockey career. It's almost, uh, you know, like a proud dad watching these guys move on to the next levels. Kevin, thanks so much for your, your time today. We've been talking to Kevin Hess, a Michigan scout with the OHL Central Scouting. And coming up next, we'll hear from Max Nemesnikov. Thanks again, Kevin. Thanks, Mark. We're joined now by 15-year-old Max Nemesnikov a center with the Honey Baked under-15 team. He was just selected by the Sarnia Sting with the third overall pick. And Max, first of all, welcome to the podcast. And what was your immediate reaction? You're, you were ready to be selected in today's OHL draft, but uh, third overall to Sarnia. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, I'm really excited. I'm really honored. 
Uh, it's such a great organization. I'm glad to be a part of it. The uh, Sarnia Sting, of course, there's so much history with that team. Uh, Steve Stamkos and others have played there. And, and there's even a local connection, too, that I believe it's your uncle, Ivan Novoseltsev. He played for the Sarnia Sting and scored over 50 goals. Uh, tell us a bit about that connection, Max. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. It runs in the, runs in the family and Hopefully I could do the same and, you know, put my name up on that, that award center. You have a choice uh, coming up. You, you've also verbally committed to Michigan State, and now you've been taken third overall by the Sarnia Sting. How does that work? What, what factors will come into play in the next few uh, days and weeks and even months? Hopefully I'm, I'm choosing the route to play for Sarnia Sting. Uh, it's what my family wants. It's what I want. Uh, it's really close to home. Um, so that's about it. So is Michigan Stateland off the table right now? Have you had a chance to talk to Danton Cole, or is that something that, again, it's still early uh, after after the first day, the only day of the OHL draft? Uh, yeah, I gave I gave Coach a call, and with all due respect, that's all, you know, I'm choosing a path to go to the OHL, and, you know, that's what my family wants again, and that's what I want. So he uh, he was fully respectable of that path and my choice so is that something that you officially have announced uh, after being selected today uh i would say so i mean i haven't signed anything yet but uh right right sarnia is definitely my uh path at the moment you talked a bit about your family and uh for our michigan listeners there's so many uh, local connections max uh we could begin by talking about uh Slava Kozlov, the two-time Stanley Cup champion. And maybe tell us a bit about your connection to, to uh, Slava, who, when he was playing for the Red Wings, your older brother, uh, Vlad, would go to Joe Louis Arena and meet the players. But uh, you're, you're 11 years older than Vlad, so what's your connection, or what do you remember most, or your connections with uh, Slava Kozlov? Yeah, I've, I haven't, you know, I never got the chance to watch him play. You know, I wasn't given the opportunity, you know, being really young. But I know my brother uh, grew up watching him and, you know, he developed to be an NHL player. You know, nowadays I'm uh, meeting the players on my brother's team, you know, same thing he was doing to Slava. So, uh, you know, it's hockey's running in the blood at the moment. So it certainly is. And, and even again, so we just mentioned Vlad who um, is with the Colorado Avalanche now. And, and, and your older brother played for the London Knights for a couple of seasons. And again, he was uh, a plus 50 goal scorer there as well. So um, how often do you see Vlad and, and how much influence has he had on your career, Max? Oh, a huge part. I grew up, or I'm still growing up watching him. And, you know, whenever I get a chance to turn on the TV and watch him play, I would certainly do that. Um, you know, go into the NHL games wherever he's playing at. It's unbelievable, you know. Not not everyone gets an opportunity to have a brother like my brother, um, playing in the NHL. So, what type of game would you describe your 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 brother? He uh, he just came into Little Caesars not too long ago after being traded from Ottawa to uh, Colorado, a stacked team uh, with a number of injuries they had. For a fourth round pick, he came over, um, but uh, he's he's been in the league for a while now and. Uh, and do you, do you have a sense of what, how would you describe his game? I see him as a, you know, really, really smart player. You can see the ice. Uh, he can make unbelievable plays as, like, some players can't. 
um, you know, I try to maybe play like him. And how about your, your dad who, um, Evgeny, he, he played in the NHL for, for about four years. He was a defenseman. Tell us a bit about what you know about your dad's career. Yeah, he was, uh, he, he was a really physical player. You know, if you're skating up, up the ice and with your head buried, you know, he's going to, he's going to make you pay for it. And, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not necessarily like him, but, uh, I try to pay attention to his physicality because that's an important part of the game. What has your dad told you um, about about becoming a hockey player? Mostly my dad just says, keep your head up, make plays. Uh, it's the most important thing nowadays is, you know, be safe and become a great hockey player. So The Wings fans here, of course, uh, saw the Russian Five with your uncle and and the puck possession game and the swirling and, and recycling. What are your thoughts about that style of play? Yeah, the Russian five. I mean, that was a special bond that's mostly not going to happen anymore or like sometime soon. Um, and that's a lot of people don't get a chance to do that. You know, what like the records they have done as, as a unit. And, you know, that, that was a different like style of play. So can you tell me a bit about the honey bait uh, program for those uh, listening and wondering, here's a, here's a team that was ranked number one in the country. There are four local teams among the top 10, but your team was ranked number one. Yeah, we, uh, we had a special bond, a uh, great set of guys and we all got together and our stats as a team prove, you know, prove everything. You know, we've only lost, what, I don't know, three games, four games, and one over 60. And, you know, that just proves of what kind of guys we had in the locker room. Who were some of the players on your line this year? Did you uh, have rotating wingers? Uh, what what was a, a typical game like for you, Max? I played with Frank Nazar, a uh, mm-hmm. really good guy. He's really, you know, playing for the USA team next year. It was an honor, honor playing with him. And usually we had guys rotating on and out with us. Uh, but we, we always clicked. Where have you improved this year? You said that you're up almost around 180 pounds. Um, can you talk a bit about things that you notice a difference in your game? Uh, I became a lot stronger, like you said, putting up weight. I've uh, definitely felt that. Um, my speed has improved. Mm-hmm. My IQ has improved. Um, you know, everything everything's improved this year. Where did you play the year before that, Max? Where were you? And, and how much of a jump did you make from last year to this year? Uh, I actually have played for Honeybake for mostly my life, but last year I played for Compuware. Um, it was a rough season. I had, you know, lots of injuries. I had two injuries. Uh, I broke my collarbone twice. And uh, at the end of the season, I broke my back. So, you know, it was a tough season and definitely not what I wanted, but this year was a lot different and I became better as a person and a player. How are you feeling as far as, uh, getting ready for camp in this uh, day and age, a little bit of uncertainty right now. What are you doing uh, right now with with the um, uh, coronavirus uh, slowing things down to a halt? Just trying to stay in shape so it'll be easier to come back into the summer and hopefully the summer camp. You know, just running, riding the bike, lifting weights, anything like that. Max, thanks for your uh, time today on our podcast and all the best and thanks again for joining us. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. Ted, uh, Michigan hockey over the years with the CompuWare system and Honeybaked and all the success of the Little Caesars program as well. You know, I was talking to the Colorado folks last week about Colorado being a bit of a underrated hotspot. And only once the NHL came in with the Avalanche and also the success of the University of Denver 
and Colorado College becoming powerhouses. Whereas here, you've grown up in the area. Michigan is part of the hockey DNA with all the success of the Red Wings. And now you have this new generation of 2004 uh, players were just drafted in the Ontario Hockey League this year. They grew up with Steve Eisenman and Lidstrom. And I, I bet it's not a surprise to you just from what you've seen, not necessarily covering Michigan minor hockey, but just how important the game is to the state. Uh, it's, I mean, it's still obviously one of the top markets in the country, but what's amazing is just seeing some of these other non-traditional markets that are flourishing. I mean, you're seeing quite a few players from the Dallas area getting drafted and Arizona state all of a sudden has a very good hockey program and Southern California is thriving just in all Florida, Florida is another one. So it's just amazing how we're seeing players pop, pop up from all over the country. And it's good to see. I mean, the game is growing to other locales that you never thought it was going to flourish, but it definitely is now. And, just makes it that much more broader and the footprint's getting larger. And finally, Ted, you've talked to players like Dylan Larkin during the time off. And, and of course, they're adhering to the uh, staying at home and, and, and uh, social distancing and, and trying to stay in shape and be prepared if there is an abbreviated season. What are your thoughts about what might happen with the, with the Red Wings? Is there any chance that the Wings would have to come back and play some games? Or do you think in all likelihood, to go right to the playoffs if indeed there is a if there is a season and a playoff season. Right, I think there. I, I don't know if I if I was a betting man, I'd, I'd say that they'd go straight into the playoffs. But Mark, at some point here, there's got to be a cutoff date. I would think. I'm sure there in Gary Bettman and Bill Daly's minds, there is such a date, and wonder when we'll be approaching it. I mean, keep on crossing off dates. We don't have a heck of a lot of runway left here before, you know, next you start thinking about next season and training camp and right after Labor Day. And I know they, they still have to do, like we said, we have, they have to do the draft. They still have to do free agency. Hopefully there will be time here this summer to crown a Stanley Cup champion, but uh, it's get, time's getting compressed here, and I just don't see an end to it. That'll do it for episode 24 of Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. Look for Ted's coverage next week online at DetroitNews.com and in the paper, on Instagram, and also on our special Facebook page as well, our Octopulse Facebook page. Until then... Stay safe, everyone, and we'll see you soon. Take care, Ted. Talk to you soon. You too, Mark.